Hey friends, Considering Charlotte is a series that several United Methodists began. Uh, we're missing two of them today, but the effort here is to shine light on subjects that are very difficult to understand. The United Methodist Church is a, a denominational body that has accumulated a lot of things over the last couple centuries, and in order to understand the current milieu, especially as you come to the next General Conference in April, there are just a lot of things to understand, especially for delegates, and we do hope that delegates watch this, but there's a lot of history here that is not fully appreciated. There's a lot of theology that uh, might get kind of gummed up in the works as people are talking about it. There's a lot of practical considerations when you're looking at different areas of petitions being presented to general conference. So we've covered the revised social principles, for instance. We've, we've covered a number of topics so far. Today's topic is going to be regionalization. This is the number one thing coming to general conference this year. There's always some major effort being supported by the connectional table and denominational forces um, that that delegates have to entertain. And uh, the main push this time is regionalization. And so we're going to spend more than one episode on it, especially since we're missing both Odell's and Amy's voices. Today, what the intent is going to be is a broad overview. Um, and so we've we've got Lonnie to speak to a lot of great history We've got Simon to speak to the international context. We've got Joe also to speak to some great history. So this will be just kind of a foundation to the following conversations that we have on regionalization. Uh, just leading up to hitting the record button, we hit on several topics pertaining to this that we're still not clear on, and so we're going to have a couple weeks to do more research and, and fill in kind of some of these fuzzy areas. So uh, this is going to be a, a pretty mandatory episode for anyone who wants to really vote responsibly on regionalization or to understand really what's at, at, at play here, what's, why, why it's such a big deal as delegates come together in April. So we hope you stick with us. We hope you find it interesting. There, it does require some effort on your part to um, care and to, to make room in your brain for these things. But to, you know, from my outsider's perspective at this point, the reason I think this is worth it is this has theological implications about the culture of Christ and whether or not cultures of the world should be able to overrule that. But it also has very practical implications for, um, is the American church going to be vulnerable to non-Americans? Um, or are, are they going to—this is the way that I'm seeing it. I could be wrong in how I'm seeing it, but I understand regionalization to effectively remove non-American voices from the American context. So the next few episodes, I can be corrected on that if, if I've misunderstood the practical impact of, of this legislation. Uh, but if, if that is a reality of this, then uh, people need to think through the implications of that on the front end so that it's not uh, the law of unintended consequences prevailing on down the line. So I've talked enough. Um, what I want to do is I'm going to defer to Lonnie for his setup for the broader topic. We're going to turn to Simon uh, to, to speak to what Lonnie says and then also answer um, some of the concerns around how, how does this impact uh, the, the, the international context. And then Joe has a lot of really good history around the Episcopacy that a lot of this hinges on as well. So we're going to go back to the broad context and, and uh, see what light can be shed there. So we're going to turn to Lonnie now. Lonnie, uh, you've been able to do a ton of really helpful thought and uh, research on this. You're very familiar with a number of petitions, and not just the current petitions, but previous petitions that have been shut down and how it is that they've been uh, repurposed uh, in, in these newer forms. I don't know how much of that you want to talk about versus other things, but the floor is yours. Go ahead and set us up. 
Thank you very much, Jeffrey. Um, happy to do that. Uh, and as you, as you stated, and certainly correctly, that regionalization is at the top of the agenda for the upcoming General Conference. There's no doubt about that. There's a lot of room for uh, difference of opinion about whether it's a good idea or it's a bad idea or somewhere in between. Uh, but nevertheless, it's of, of great concern and should be of great concern to anyone who is either a delegate, of, of course, uh, in that way, uh, but to anybody who's United Methodist, because it's going to affect all our lives one way or the other, whether it's, uh, whether it's approved or whether it's rejected. Uh, uh, we, we know that, uh, for example, the, the Commission on the General Conference that is in charge of the agenda uh, and setting up uh, what we'll, what we'll uh, deal with at General Conference has stated that this is at the top of their agenda which means it's, it's at the top of all our agendas. Uh, they've in fact said that every legislative committee, uh, and uh, there are, uh, I think it's 15 of them, including the, the Standing Committee on Central Conference Matters, uh, which acts like a legislative committee, whether it's formally called one or not, uh, that, uh, that every legislative committee will be required to devote uh, a... a set amount of time, hadn't been specified yet how much that is, uh, at the beginning of its work to have conversation about uh, the question of regionalization and the petitions dealing with regionalization, uh, which is a little bit strange because uh, it is also said that all the petitions on regionalization will be given to the Committee on Conferences, the Legislative Committee on Conferences, uh, for uh, the, the standard way in which all petitions are processed, which means that the conversations in all the other legislative committees will be uh, informational. That is to say, the only one of the legislative committees that will make a formal report uh, and recommendation to the, the plenary session of the General Conference will be the Committee on Conferences. What impact then these, I'm going to call them sidebar conversations because that's what it in effect looks like they are, uh, will have on the plenary sessions. We don't know. Uh, uh, as far as we know, there hasn't been a process set up. If, if, if it has, we haven't been told what it's going to be for reports from these other committees to go to the plenary. And so how, how they'll have an impact there other than uh, the persuasive nature of the conversations in the committees on what the delegates vote uh, is unclear. Uh, uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, that's the process uh, as it seems to be shaping up for us. Uh, what, what we do need to remember also is that uh, whatever form the conversation takes at General Conference and has taken up to now uh, didn't start with the move for regionalization that we're dealing with uh, at General Conference 2020-24. This is, has, a, has a significant history that we need to be aware of, uh, and I believe that it's a history that has had some influence on, on where we are and where we're likely to go. Uh, the General Conference of 2008 uh, 
at that conference, uh, there was a report from a task force that had been formed called the Task Force on the Global Nature of the Church, Worldwide Nature of the Church, I guess. Uh, and in fact, Scott Jones, a former United Methodist Bishop, now Bishop of, of the Global Methodist Church, uh, was the chair of that task force. And that uh, task force uh, intentionally uh, proposed a, a plan for regionalizing the church. In fact, it used that language, uh, uh, regional conferences. It was it proposed to change all the central conferences to regional conferences. And whereas it didn't go the the next step and propose a regional conference for the United States, it paved the way for such a conference and referred to that in uh, some of the language, although not including it specifically in the legislation uh, that there would be a regional conference in the in the United States. Uh, it uh, and uh, its proposal for putting this in into church law, it proposed 23 amendments to the United Methodist Constitution. And uh, all 23 of those amendments that were proposed received the, the supporting vote at General Conference, uh, the two-thirds required. Uh, but when it went then for ratification to the members of the annual conferences, it was rejected, and it was rejected fairly soundly. All 23 of them were rejected. There, there were none of them uh, carried. In fact, in some of the African uh, annual conferences, uh, the, the votes of the members there were uh, unanimous. They uh, voted as a block to reject all 23 of these amendments. So, uh, so that's uh, where we, we were at the at that point, that was in 2009, that the ratification votes were reported uh, as full rejection of that uh, idea at the time. Uh, the next step, uh, as far as I can remember, and my research shows, was in uh, 2014. Uh, th at that time, Adam Hamilton, the the uh, pastor of the Church of the Resurrection in Leewood, uh, Kansas, a suburb of Kansas City, uh, I'd say famously, published a a paper uh, on his website uh, called "A Way Forward for a United Methodist Church," where "united" was italicized to emphasize that it was his vision for how the United Methodist Church in this time of significant division, primarily over the issue of uh, how we include uh, LGBTQ people uh, within the ministries of the church, uh, how we could get past that, uh, that barrier to unity. And uh, essentially it was what I would call a local option uh, proposal. In fact, uh, the uh, the Hamilton proposal uh, called for uh, local option within the local churches, even uh, in uh, deciding how they would uh, be in ministry in this way. Uh, there were 
there was a significant number of initial signatories of Hamilton's proposal, so it wasn't Adam alone uh, making this uh, this proposal. Uh, and on the website where where the idea was presented, there was an invitation for others to sign on, and uh, the, that signatory list has been since taken down from the web. But I believe before it was pulled down, uh, he had somewhere up around 10,000 or so uh, supporters for this idea. And uh, whatever else we think of regional, regionalization as doing, the, the shorthand, uh, that is shorthand for uh, understanding a local option. And local meaning uh, something other than uh, the church as a whole, meaning maybe you were talking about here region, regional conferences or jurisdictions or central conferences or even down to annual conferences in the local churches. But local option, anyway, uh, in this. Uh, as far as I know, uh, the Hamilton plan for a way forward was never formally uh, put into legislative form uh, itself, but there, were, there was lots of legislation that, uh, that came out of that, uh, in my judgment, uh, using it as, as its inspiration. Uh, for example, I think uh, to some degree, and to some significant degree, in fact, the one church plan that was one of the plans put forward by the commission on a way forward uh, was probably, uh, uh, in one sense, a direct outcome of the Hamilton plan for a way forward. It, I don't think it's even accidental or coincidental that the name of that commission was a commission on a way forward using uh, Hamilton's language, uh, a way forward for a United Methodist Church, a United Methodist Church. Uh, so that that heritage is, heritage is important. Uh, and then uh, further, in uh, twenty sixteen, at the general conference there, uh, a a pair of annual conferences in Texas, the North Texas Annual Conference and the Central Texas uh, Annual Conference combined their efforts, and I say the conferences did, actually it was the delegations there, uh, not the whole conference, but the delegations of these two conferences uh, got together to propose to the 2016 General Conference a, uh, a petition that called for the creation of a uh, central conference of the United States. Uh, and this was a uh, a move directly in the direction of regionalization. Uh, th that language was not used in the uh, in the petition itself, but uh, the the real significance of this one is that this was a stepping stone for the folks who put together what has come to be called the Christmas Covenant. In fact, they, that was the name of the of the group uh, that put the the idea forward for a a complete uh, regionalization of the church, and uh, we know that this was one of their stepping stones because uh, in in the language of the petition that came out of the Christmas Covenant, 
the, the, some of the language was quoted word for word, just taken right out of the, uh, the, what I'm going to call the Texas proposal for the creation of a Central Conference of the United States, uh, and was taken directly into the, the Christmas Covenant proposal. And it's, it's in there in exactly the same form uh, today. Uh, the, the petition that's before us, uh, which uh, enfleshes the proposal from the central, uh, from the Christmas covenant, it's it's still there. Uh, Lonnie, let me give me just the, let me do a a quick thing ahead, because sure. a lot of people are not even going to know what the Christmas covenant is, and that's really the primary piece of legislation yeah. that has gained dominance in this regionalization conversation. It was originally published, I want to say, four years ago. It was ostensibly authored by um, non-American voices. That if you ever go to the website, that it'll say that right up front. Non-American or American voices did not craft this, but there are only two or three names associated with it. Um, they've never published a formal list, to my knowledge, of authors of the legislation. And so what you just said pokes holes in their narrative. If they're using language that came directly from American pieces of legislation, then that kind of belies this notion that um, it's it's fully the product of a non-American voice. Uh, rather, it would seem that either – well, I, I don't need to hypothesize beyond that, but you're, you're, you're pointing out that also that this is a longstanding agenda that has been shut down at various points along the way, and it, it continues to just kind of mutate – a little bit and augment itself so as to eventually hopefully pass legislative muster. Well, let me make one what I think might be corrective, uh, Jeffrey. The the list of the of the members of the original Christmas covenant is available. Uh, and I think there were like 12, 12 or 14 of them. I, I don't remember how many exactly. But uh, the, the names of the people who uh, originally uh, committed to, to the Christmas covenant, uh, which was not a legislative concept originally, mind you. It was a, a proposal in concept. Uh, the legislation grew out of that, and uh, the actual uh, authors of the legislation, uh, I, we may or may not uh, have access to, to all of those. I'm, I'm not certain about that. But it really uh, is is not all that important in my judgment because the the people who were part of the Christmas Covenant supported the legislation regardless of whether they were authors of it or not. Uh, uh, the uh, for ex as example of what I mean when it's not all that important, the fact is that the the two Texas conference delegations who got together to to uh, make the proposal to the 2016. General Conference, which uh, which I should say uh, failed, it did not uh, was not supported by that uh, conference. Uh, uh, they they uh, um, actually engaged me as a legislative consultant to put the the legis their concept into writing, and I did that. Uh, my name isn't on it anywhere uh, um, as as an author because uh, Tim Brewster from uh, Central Texas uh, signed it, but nevertheless, those whole delegations uh, were supporters of it and owned the legislation, even though the the, the writer uh, wasn't named. It, this may be the first time. I wonder if it might be helpful to step back for a moment and just kind of 
just give the general concept of what we're talking about to folks because there may yeah. be folks tuning in Go who ahead, aren't really even sure what I think we're starting to already get into some of the weeds. Yeah. I mean, the whole concept of regionalization essentially is says that different parts of the church and different parts of the world have different cultural and legal contexts. And therefore, there needs to be more adaptability of the discipline in those different contexts. And so the, the idea going forward is that there would be parts of the discipline that applied and were binding on all parts of the church around the world. And then there would be parts that were that were more adaptable and could be adjusted to local contexts. Um, I think it's important that we just kind of lay that out as the basic conceptual uh, purpose of the idea. Would you agree with yeah. that, Ron? That's a great, great thing, uh, Joe. Yes, you're absolutely right. That, that does need to be uh, remembered, that uh, the overall concept is to give each region some autonomy in making decisions about things that right now they don't have any uh, significant control over. Uh, and mind you, there, there will be some things going forward in, in any of the regionalization proposals that I know about uh, that are not adaptable. And the sure. Constitution is one of them. The, the Constitution will be applicable. And I, th I think the doctrinal standards uh, that we have would be universal. That is to say, the Articles of Religion, the Confession of Faith, uh, the General Rules, uh, Wesley's Notes, and all that, those things that we consider our doctrinal standards, would that be applicable over the whole church? Uh, to s some degree, uh, almost certainly, there will be a, a social principle statement that will be universally applicable as well, although that hasn't yet totally been worked out. That's one of the things that will be before the General Conference. All right, Lonnie, go be, ahead and... I'm sorry. Sorry, Joe, go ahead. It may also be worth noting that there are a lot of petitions that have been put forward that relate to this by different people that have been submitted. There's actually several different plans. There's, you know, kind of multiplication of, of um, things to redefine the U.S. as a regional conference, as several regional conferences, to do away with jurisdictions, not to do away with... So there's a lot of complexity. I don't envy the delegates in trying to sort through all this stuff as they get prepared for this. All right, Lonnie, you weren't finished with your opening thoughts, so just go ahead and jump back in wherever you like. There are lots of hurdles between uh, uh, where we are and uh, where uh, some of the delegates and, and other proponents of regionalization want to go with this, and not the least of which is the fact that just as with the uh, Worldwide Nature proposal in 2008, uh, this currently uh, most discussed proposal, which has been presented uh, from this Christmas Covenant group through the Connectional Table and the Standing Committee on Central Conference Matters, uh, has multiple, multiple amendments uh, to the Constitution that it's proposed. In fact, it calls for amending uh, 28 paragraphs of the 61 paragraphs of the Constitution, which is a huge uh, section of the Constitution. That's 46 percent of the uh, of the paragraphs in the Constitution that are proposed for amendment uh, by this uh, proposal. Uh, that's huge. When you remember that we have to, to get two-thirds of the voting delegates uh, at the General Conference to approve it, and then Again, two-thirds 
of the members of the annual conferences uh, supporting it. Uh, that is a daunting uh, task to overcome. We couldn't do it in 2008, and there's significant question about whether it can be done in 2024 as well, in my judgment. Uh, I believe that there are some other flaws, but that'll probably be something that we should save for a, uh, a discussion further down the road, uh, since uh, uh, we're going to spend a good bit more time yeah, on we this. Are. So, Jeffrey, thank you very much. I think that's enough for me to put into an introduction. Well, so uh, Simon has his own unique perspective, and we're going to turn to him now. And what I what I think a lot of this hinges on, I mean, as you've already highlighted, this, this is a very invasive um, piece of legislation that reworks the Constitution significantly, has huge implications down the line for how the denomination functions. It's ostensibly to solve the problem of an American-centric uh, denomination that doesn't provide for enough uh, latitude for non-American conferences to minister to their context locally. It hasn't been clear to me and, and, many, and, and some others that this is actually a need worthy of this much attention, especially when you're talking about um, budgeting and Episcopal uh, shifting that needs to take place after losing a third of their churches. It seems like, um, well, to be frank, I and many others have, have advocated the position that this is a Trojan horse, that they are um, using the voices of non-Americans and the, the obvious American-centric layout of the denomination to actually create a situation in which they are erecting barriers between America and non-American regions, where America will finally not have to deal with, say, the African voice in keeping them from liberalizing the sexual uh, human sexuality position. That's what I've become, become quite confident all this is really about, and they're using this language of, of fairness and uh, concern for international voices uh, actually to mask the real agenda, which is um, to liberalize the sexual ethics position of the, the denomination. So, um, and we'll have several more weeks to correct me on that if, if I'm just completely off base on that. But with, with Simon, I think what Simon can do is speak to the international context, uh, especially, I think Simon would agree with all of us that yes, the the Book of Discipline is clearly centered around America for obvious reasons. Uh, it, it started off in America and then has been exploding in other areas while it declines in America. But are are there ways in which the Book of Discipline has limited non-American central and annual conferences from doing ministry. Is this really a, a need that you or other voices in Africa or the Philippines or Eastern Europe have been able to point to and say, yes, we need this regionalization language so that we can do whatever? Um, so, uh, Simon, speak to that, speak to what Lonnie has said, and then bring your own points that you think are important for the beginning of this conversation. Uh, thank you very much, Jeff. And uh, thank you, Lonnie, for, for all those insights and that historical background on uh, the regionalization issue. Uh, let me reiterate that uh, uh, as you were tracking this history of uh, the regionalization, you, you have actually said that uh, it was consistently rejected at General Conference since uh, 2008, 2012 in Tampa, you know, we had done everything, everything to try and uh, uh, restructure the denomination, and it counted to note. And remember, uh, the international delegates were part of 
this rejection uh, of this concept. Up until 2019 at the special session, it continued to be rejected. And the international delegates are part of this history of rejecting this uh, concept. And from uh, international, some of the international delegates, they, they don't see much change in terms of wh what is being brought in uh, regionalization. There is no significant change in terms of, uh, you know, or its dynamics. It's like we are trying to do the same thing in the same manner, expecting different results. And I, I see that uh, uh, not quite working as we go to general conference. As we are trying to make our delegates see these things, from an international perspective, these are the arguments. Number one, internationally, uh, our delegates are, seem to see the biggest problem as the issue, obviously, on uh, liberal theology uh, and uh, uh, maybe starting from this sexual ethics, they know obviously undergirded by theological interpretation and understanding. Right? And if, if that is not addressed directly, international delegates will continue to have problems. And in the words of some of the leaders uh, from Africa, they are saying, if we agree to the concept of regionalization, particularly on the issue of uh, human sexuality or the sexual ethics, uh, maybe changing definition of marriage, you know, allowing geographical parts of the denomination to do same-sex marriages, some do not. They are arguing that once we agree to do that, then in their in understanding and interpretation of scripture, they are saying we find ourselves guilty of internationally endorsing sin. This, this is how they interpret it. Because we are agreeing to say you can go ahead and, 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 and do something which they believe is wrong. When they are supposed to say, no, no, I'm supposed to rebuke you as a brother's keeper, that this is not the, the, the understanding that we have. And they call it, uh, the other guy, the other brother was saying, we, we cannot regionalize the Bible. Because now we are saying there, there are certain verses in the Bible that apply only to certain geographical parts of the denomination and certain verses in the Bible that only apply in certain uh, 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 geographical parts of the... This is how they describe it. And I see it making sense because there is a certain understanding that we expect to be across the whole denomination especially the foundational theology, those cardinal issues that bind us together. I do not see how a definition of marriage should be different within one denomination. I, I, don't, I don't get that personally. And this, is, this thinking is also in a lot of African delegates to say how can we have two definitions, for example, in one, uh, of marriage in one denomination or says different practices uh, 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 of the same thing uh, in the same denomination. So this is where some of the international delegates are coming from. That, you know, we have not seen any significant change in the things that have caused the rejection of the concept since 2008. We are simply changing its name. Uh, uh, we, we talked about, we are talked about uh, 
for example, there is a lot of talk in the Christmas covenant about decolonizing, uh, you know, some of these concepts, you know, uh, you know, fighting, trying to fight racism, because some of the names and concepts, they remind us of those things, colonization, racism, and things like that. But to my surprise, the jurisdictions, they remain intact with the same name that they are jurisdictions. Yet if you go into the history, there are some colonial connotations about jurisdictions that we all know. So if we don't decolonize that, then we haven't done much to what we say we want to achieve. And for example, also, if we want to regionalize the geographical divisions of the church without uh, regionalizing the episcopacy of the church, then obviously we still have a problem because some of the international delegates are arguing that, but look, what is happening right now in the, in the UMC denomination? We are already in breach of our constitution and our rules with impunity. And we haven't changed those rules, but we are already leaving them. Uh, I mean, we, we are living in the breach, but we haven't changed the, the, the rules. So how do we interpret that uh, as we go to general conference? So our international delegates are really battling with that. And let me give you, let me give you another perspective from other commentators uh, from Africa. They are also saying, as we speak, we don't have any members still living in the United Methodist Church. That denomination called the United Methodist Church remains in the Book of Discipline, but no one is living in it. Probably you may see a few Africans, but by connection, because of connectionalism, uh, they are also affected. So what we see now are probably three denominations. One called the United Methodist Church, which is found only in the Book of Discipline. Then what I would call the post-separation United Methodist Church, which we intend to endorse at this coming general conference. Then, of course, the Global Methodist Church, which is trying to leave what is in the United Methodist Church, which has remained in that Book of Discipline. That, that is the kind of arguments that you pick from the international delegates, especially from Africa. So, 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 yeah, I, I see quite a challenge as we go towards general conference. How do we go through all these weeds? And how do you convince international delegates from Africa on these cardinal issues? Because, yes, some people are saying, no, no, let's focus on many things. Don't just focus on sexual ethics. But remember... One small little thing can spoil the whole thing. You know, the whole dough can get spoiled by just a drop of the wrong ingredient. This, these are the things that can spoil all the debates that we may do and the, the voting that we may do can be messed up by one single thing. So those sexual ethics issues, if they are not dealt with carefully and, and are clearly for some of us coming from uh, Africa to be specific, I, I see big challenges uh, passing this regionalization and general conference, more so when it has such a high threshold in terms of passing it at general conference, then a ratification vote for all the annual conferences uh, within the whole connection. I see that as a, as a mammoth task. And I'm also urging, maybe reminding us that uh, as we talk about the regionalization as top on the agenda, I think we are also kind of ignoring that disaffiliation is all equally top on the agenda because there are people who are really looking at that. So the amount of energy we need to put should be almost the same in terms of disaffiliation 
and regionalization. So that when we work out in that uh, kind of um, understanding and uh, humility and love and peace, we, we may then strike a balance and have a win-win situation at the end of the day. Let me end there for now, uh, 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 Jeff. Thank you. I think that's really a helpful note to end on, except for I have no idea what a win-win situation looks like at this point. I, I think what we've found ourselves at is a, 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 an intractable place where the success of any one venture means that, that a, a significant constituency finds it unacceptable. Simon, do you have any clarity about what a win-win scenario would look like at this coming general conference? A win-win, a win-win situation would be, for me, allowing those who want to live to do so, if that is what they want. We don't want a unit, a unity that is achieved through cohesion. You, you cannot force people to be united when they cannot unite. So I believe if we were to allow those who want to live to live, then it would make sense for those who stay to then implement regionalization without challenges of those who are fighting to leave the room. Because at least they are, those who stay will be purely those who really want to stay and they know what they are staying for. But if we force people who want to leave to hang around, obviously they, they, will, they will give perpetual challenges to those who stay. Because those, those fights will continue to happen and um, it, it, it won't be healthy for the, for the, for the body of Christ. That, that's what I would think would be a win-win situation. At least those who want to live must live. Those who want to do regionalization should do it without the opposition that we are facing uh, right now. And that we will face at the general conference. That's my, that's my thinking. That makes sense to me now. Thank you for belaboring that with me. All right, Joe, wrap this all together in, in uh, the, you, you've already helpfully interceded once and then uh, go ahead and do whatever you think needs to be done now and then we'll, we'll see what's left after. Sure. There's, um, well, one thing that I think probably is helpful for clarification too is the fact that after any regionalization plan passes General Conference, assuming it does, Lonnie already alluded to this, it then requires a ratification vote by all of the annual conferences globally that also has to meet a two-thirds majority vote. And the important part of that, just to be clear, is that that's in the aggregate. It's not two-thirds of the conferences do it, and you got it. It means all the votes of all the conferences get tallied up together uh, of all the delegates to the individual conferences, and, there has, and they, have to ma they have to reach two-thirds or better for that to pass. So that is an additional thing to keep in mind, because that, uh, if, if a couple of big conferences vote decisively against it, that could undermine the, the ability of the rest of the conference to reach the two-thirds. So that's important to keep in mind, too. So I think, and the reason that's important is because, as Simon has indicated, unless there's some kind of, unless the delegates around the world feel that on the whole they've gotten uh, outcomes here that are acceptable to them, they're going to vote against it. And I think that in the African context, in places, they're, they're going to want to have some kind of access to disaffiliation that has only been allowed to be enjoyed in the U.S. up to this point. And perhaps that might be something that they'll say, well, there's an acceptable compromise if both of those things pass. We'll see. So I'm realizing right now we have to address something that, I mean, if I were 
a person reading certain articles, I would hear us and I would go, they're obviously lying. There's obviously a lot of support in Africa in particular for the mm -hmm. Christmas covenant and regionalization. They just had a big gathering in Tanzania. It was reported that a majority of African general conference delegates were in attendance and they're all in favor of the regionalization plan. This is what's been reported to a lot of people. I think, uh, I think some of those same reports have said that they're also very adamant that they don't want to see any change in the Book of Discipline's definition of marriage. So how those two things both come together could affect how they ultimately support yeah. what comes out of the general conference. So we're in this kind of really tough situation. I, th I, think, I think it's clear that a big impetus behind regionalization is, and, and to, to be favorable to it, there are, there are things that just don't apply in other parts of the world and that don't apply in the US. We saw this with the social principles, for example, we had never had any reference to polygamy before because in the U.S. it wasn't an issue. It is an issue in, in parts of Africa. Um, that doesn't apply directly to regionalization, but you get the idea that there are things that are going to be pressing matters in some parts of the world that are not in others. So there's that. There's also the fact that in the U.S. we, have, we are now in a place where de facto we have changed the teaching on marriage. Even though it's not officially changed, in practice it is. And we have the comments of people like Mark Holland and others saying that if they don't if we don't see that enshrined in church teaching, then we're going to see the departure of a lot of more progressive people in the U.S. So this is, an, I think, there's an attempt to try to, to keep the various parts of the church willing to stay together, to say, let the U.S. have their standards, let Africa have their standards. I don't know if that will work, for reasons that Simon has indicated, because the headlines will be around the world, United Methodist endorses same-sex marriage, not Africa stands with tradition and, 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 and uh, the, the global Christian movement. So that's going to be an issue. Another issue to throw into the mix has to do with episcopacy, which I think is very interesting as well. Right now, at least theoretically, and not just theoretically, but in practice in some, to some degree, bishops are bishops of the whole church. That goes back to the days of the early Methodist movement. Bishops are general superintendents. And so that theoretically they can be appointed anywhere in the world. They can be transferred across conference lines across regional lines, even national lines. Now that doesn't happen that they are transferred, but it does happen that bishops are given authority over other annual conferences. Um, so for example, right now in Sierra Leone in West Africa, since the death of Bishop uh, Yambasu, was it Bishop Yambasu? I think it, it was. was. Yes. Um, yes. Bishop Warner Brown of California is now the uh, Episcopal leader of the Sierra Leone conference. So it does happen that bishops from one part of the church, even from the U.S., are, are then put in Episcopal oversight of other parts of the world. And this evokes a problem because if, we, if the regionalization plans have different standards for ordination, different standards for clergy accountability, different standards for bishops to be elected than in other parts of the world, how does that affect that? That means you might have situations where bishops are asked to do things in parts of the world where they would be seen as unacceptable in that part of the world. And what this evokes for me, historically, was the division north and south in the U.S. prior to the Civil War over the question of slavery. If you remember your history lessons on that, it was when slavery had become, when it was discovered that a bishop owned slaves. Now, back then, bishops were not attached in a diocesan form to annual conferences as they are now. They were general superintendents. They traveled all around the country. They were expected to do that. When Bishop Andrew was found to have bishops, it became clear that he would not be welcomed or accepted in New England Conference. 
important uh, slip of the tongue there. You said he was found to have bishops, but you meant to say he was found to have slaves. He was found to have slaves, yes. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. So um, he would not be acceptable to preside in New England. And this precipitated a crisis uh, where they tried to resolve it. And they couldn't, and that then led to the division of the church north and south. So the Episcopacy has, and I think that's where we are today. Part of the problem we're in today is that we have several bishops on the West Coast that are now in violation of the Book of Discipline, and that is feeding the sense of crisis that we're, we're in division. So there's a, there's a lot of complicating factors to this. Um, and there's also not just the Christmas Covenant parts of the plan. As I mentioned, there's other petitions that try to address some of these questions. There's petitions that have been petitioned that propose eliminating the jurisdiction system in the U.S. My understanding is the Christmas Covenant doesn't do that. So that would be another layer on top. There's petitions that, I think there's one petition, I think by Chap Temple, that you know, Lonnie, to, I think it was by him, or no, I think it may have been um, Millard, um, President Millard out of United, to, to look to me like it was almost a revisitation of the Connectional Conference Plan to create two bodies within the U.S. along theological lines. So there's all kinds of petitions that, that will be thrown into the mix. The delegates can, they can even pick and choose from. I, I, they may well modify things, because again, delegates can do what they want once they are in, in session. So this is a very, very messy... I think you might have been talking about Chris What's Ritter's that? petition. I think you might have been talking about Chris Ritter's petition there. I th yeah, I think his also is, is, is there to... Um, I think that also allows for local... Uh, kind of a division within the U.S. along theological lines. Yeah, I think he calls it the jurisdictional right, plan right. or something like that. Okay. So another piece of this puzzle that we haven't um, uh, explained for people who are not already in the know is the jurisdictional conference. Um, this is a level of um, governing the church that's found only in America. There are five jurisdictional conferences that exercise great influence within the body of the United Methodist Church. There is no equivalent body outside of the United uh, outside of the United States, and so as uh, e each of you have highlighted in one way or another, why it's a problem that the most dominant legislation dealing with regionalization doesn't even address that at all. But instead, instead of removing the jurisdictionals, the uh, jurisdictional conferences and then providing these regional conferences, it just puts a whole new level of governance uh, in the mix in America, so, which is a very strange idea in a time of great shrinkage to add more bureauc uh, levels of bureaucratic oversight um, in that way. So that's just one of many other topics that we're going to be able to speak about at length in the coming weeks. Joe, we need to turn to you for final words and then conclude for today's episode. I'm not sure I have any final words, okay. except that I think, I think this is going to be a lot more challenging and a lot messier when the delegates assemble than people think. Yeah, it's, it's a very daunting task. I have no idea how they're going to do it. But also, I've never been to general conference. It always seems to me that there are some invisible hands that decide what comes to the floor and how it comes to the floor. And, and um, it'll be very important for delegates for that reason to be educated before they get to general conference because there's so many moving parts, so many things gain momentum that if you don't know what they are and you have to make a decision, uh, it's much more likely that people are gonna make a decision that they regret. So we'll do our best over the course of the next two weeks, I think, and then we'll have other open times that we can come back to regionalization. But um, viewers, listeners, if you're frustrated with the fact that we, we really didn't lay the groundwork very well, 
we thank you for bearing with us, and then we, we'd encourage you to join us for uh, future episodes where we get to, to lay out the groundwork in a much more solid and understandable form. So thank you for bearing with us. Friends, um, I, we need to conclude today's episode, so I, I thank you for joining us. I want to thank you, uh, Simon and, and Lonnie and Joe, each for adding your voices of expertise here and dialogue with one another. Less, next week, Odell Horn should be with us um, to add his perspective representing African-American churches and the United Methodist Church. And, uh, of course, we want to include voices of viewers as well. So if you want to comment on our videos with any questions or uh, analysis, uh, I read those mainly. If you want to send an email with some more comprehensive analysis, that's at plainspokenpod at gmail.com, and I will forward those emails to these uh, other uh, participants so that we're all in the loop with what questions and concerns need to get answered. So we want to make this as responsive as possible to the needs of people in the United Methodist Church, and, and we hope it has been helpful to you. And if you agree that it is helpful, we want you to share this stuff far and wide. We, we want this to, to be a, a, a good resource for the church as a whole. So share it on YouTube or uh, Facebook, whatever social media that you're on. Uh, make sure that your United Methodist friends are, are tuned into what's going. And then uh, subscribe so that you can see future episodes that we do. So thank you so much for uh, being with us, and we'll see you next week.